Welcome to the Live Well Podcast, brought to you by North Texas Healthy Communities and Blue Zones Project, helping you live longer, better, and happier. Now, coming to you from Fort Worth, Texas, the largest certified Blue Zones community in the country, your host, Ricky Gottam. Hey, everybody, this is Ricky with the Live Long, Live Well Blue Zones Podcast from uh, Blue Zones Project Fort Worth and North Texas Healthy Communities uh, by Texas Health where we are helping people live healthier and better lives. Um, so with this podcast, we talk to folks who are actually doing the work out in our communities. And today we have a really cool, really exciting person. Um, I've gotten to know him these last couple of weeks. And I think you guys are really going to enjoy uh, hearing from, from our friend, Mr. Hassan. So Hassan, how's it going? It's going great. How are you, Ricky? Hey, things are really good. And uh, Hassan is a uh, med school student and a future doctor um, and an overall great guy. So uh, you might see him in a hospital near you. Um, so Hassan, tell us a little bit about yourself, where you're from. Are you from Fort Worth? How, how did you get into all of this? Sure. And, um, yeah. So my name is Hassan Tanwala. Um, I like to say that although I've not been born in Texas, I've lived my whole conscious life here. Um, so nice. my family, we immigrated from India when I was about three years old. Nice. Um, and I have lived, you know, in Texas my whole life. I was born in the Metroplex. Then I went to undergrad at the University of Texas in Austin. I came back to Dallas actually for two years and I did Teach for America mm -hmm. in Southeast Dallas. And then after doing Teach for America, I worked at a children's hospital for a year. Mm -hmm. Now I am at Texas Tech in Lubbock um, doing my MD as well as my MPH, which is my master's in public health. Nice. What part of India? I have to ask. So my family's from Mumbai, which, Mumbai. you know, yeah, yes. the big city. Um, yes. Yeah. And it's interesting. We just went back this past summer uh -huh. and man, it, it's crazy there, but it's yeah. great seeing family and everything. No, I agree. I love India. So uh, that's probably why we hit it off so well. So that's pretty cool. Um, man, you just said that you, you were a teacher and then you just kind of jumped into the medical profession. So how, you know, that, that just blows my mind. So how, when, did this, when did you decide? Because that's a, that's a big leap. Yeah. So I think, so for people who don't know about Teach for America, basically the, the way that the organization is set up is they intentionally try and recruit kind of high achieving graduating college students to become teachers and especially in high need areas. Gotcha. So at um, Title I schools. And so I, you know, I didn't always want to be a teacher. I actually always knew I wanted to do medicine and right. be a doctor. Okay. And when I was in college, I actually took, um, along with like my major, so I was a biochemistry major, and then I did a business of healthcare certificate. And in that, I got to learn a lot more about healthcare law and policy and things like that. And that's when I really got exposed to social determinants of health. Gotcha. Um, and in learning about social determinants of health, I really came to understand how big of a factor, you know, how big of a factor education is in the way that people can live healthier lives, how they can interact with the healthcare system. And, you know, I knew that my, my career path as a doctor was going to be really long. So 
I wanted to kind of take the opportunity when I had it to become a teacher for a couple of years. Nice. And, um, and you know, from a professional aspect, I thought it was like I tell people teaching was there, there were two things that I heard from every alumni who did Teach for America. Mm-hmm. One, they said the first year will be the hardest year of your life. Yeah. And then the second was that it will fundamentally change the way that you look at things. That's right. And I think it's so true because a lot of the kids who, you know, I taught then when I worked at the hospital and now like kind of as a med school student and, you know, as a future physician, mm-hmm. I see how those problems that they had in school really right. translate into their problems with health. Um, and so, I mean, that along with, you know, my personal connection with my teachers, mm-hmm. like besides my family and my parents, they're the greatest mentors that I've had. Right. So I think that was a big motivation for me to become a teacher. And yeah, I mean, again, it was really hard, but but I loved it. I think the the ability to connect with students and really when you're able to get the chance to like get them interested and change their mind on things. It It's fascinating. Yeah. And I always tell people, if you want to become a public speaker, um, if you want to become like a preacher, if you want to do any type of presentation, learn to talk in front of kids. Yeah, absolutely. If you and, can do third to fifth graders, man, I mean, that'll shape you up. That'll so help I taught you. seventh grade. Right? And, right. and that's like 12 and 13 year olds. And that's what I tell people. Like, right. I've had to keep 12 and 13 year olds engaged Uh right after that, then it's like everything else kind of seems a piece of cake. Right. And, and I draw a lot of parallels between the experience of being a teacher and the experience of being a physician. And one of the big ones is I see both as kind of like the front line on, you know, the, the industry and the system that they're in. So teachers are the people that kids and parents and everyone are most exposed to when it comes to education, right? They're not interacting with principals and vice exactly. uh, vice they're, principals, they're you know, line. superintendents. Yeah, they're the front line. And, and it's teachers who can really make or break a person's life. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that doctors are really kind of similar in that they're the front line of healthcare, that they're, you know, along with like nurses and therapists, that they are the people who people interact with right. on on the most regular basis. So they kind of see the everyday issues going on. Um, And that kind of ties into why I decided to do my public health degree was because I wanted to have a partnership between that day to day. Mm -hmm. And then how can I have like a broader systems thinking of how is my work as a physician going to make communities healthier? How is it going to increase healthcare access and, you know, quality and make it easier for people to, you know, be able to engage with. Yeah. And I think that's a great tie in because that's what I was going to ask you is, you know, out of all the places that you could do an internship out of, you know, what was it about Texas Health and the work that we're doing in Fort Worth with Blue Zones Project and our social determinants of help? Like, what was that that intrigued you and said, hey, that's something I want to jump into? Yeah. So, I, I actually distinctly remember during the pandemic, mm-hmm. towards the beginning, you know, this is when TikTok was really growing. Right. And I remember <laughs> seeing a TikTok that talked about racism and redlining policies yeah. affect people differently because of climate change. That's right. And I thought I thought it was fascinating. Right. And and for people who may not know, kind of a, a synopsis of it is mm-hmm. that 
redlining was this policy, you know, in the six in the fifties and sixties mm -hmm. that um, made it to where people of color, so black people, Hispanic people, right. that they couldn't get home loans mm -hmm. as easily, and that they were at higher interest rates, so they couldn't move. Right. And because of that, that's why you have wealthier areas being more white. And um, and they're kind of secluded. Mm -hmm. And a big part of redlining was using infrastructure as barriers between neighborhoods. Right. So, I mean, you, you see it. So, again, I grew up in Dallas. And in Fort Worth, you see it, how highways are big barriers. Yeah. So you go on one side of the highway. It's beautiful. There's trees everywhere. Mm -hmm. The homes are beautiful. The other side, and it looks yeah. Like you've entered a completely different universe. Or uh, even like railroad tracks. Yeah, railroad tracks are another like, big yeah, one. Yeah. And so then when the, the video was talking about how in the wealthier areas they have more trees. Mm -hmm. And because they have more trees, it's cooler there and mm -hmm. they like are less affected by heat waves. And I was like, oh my goodness. Like this right. is this is such a, and now that I learned about it. Uh -huh. I couldn't unsee it. Right. And I think that's what really drew me to Blue Zones Project and North Texas Healthy Communities was I wanted to be involved in like that built environment in what are the aspects of mm -hmm. health that people don't think about that, you know, affects them so much. Exactly. Because, I mean, everybody has a right to good health. And if we're telling people you should walk more if we're telling people you should spend more time outside, but yet there's no sidewalks, there's no lighting, it's it's not a safe street for your kids to be out there. Um, it, it almost defeats the purpose. So, you know, policy change, especially like built environment policy, is extremely vital to the health of everyone in the city. And, and I use that term, you know, loosely. I mean, it is every single person um, in the city of Fort Worth. And that's what we like to say, whether you live work, play, or pray here, um, you should have the opportunity to have healthier options made available to you. Yeah. Everybody. And, and I agree. I think, you know, again, my, like, if I were to talk about my, like, future goal way off in the distance, right, mm -hmm. it would be to get universal health care to this country. Right. Because I think that, like, as a whole, it is really a, a moral stain for us that out of all of the developed countries, we're the wealthiest country is in the world and and there are so Expensive. there are millions of people yeah. who do not have health care mm. and then there's millions of people who cannot afford it who it's expensive it's the number one reason for personal bankruptcy right in the united states that that i remember learning that in my classes and it blew my mind yeah no you're absolutely right and um you know that was that's one thing when we looked at the well-being of fort worth a lot of people, they equate well-being with a heavy exercise program or CrossFit or, you know, fill in the blank right. and some kind of diet. And, and when you look at um, data and statistics and research, you know, they say like 80 percent of your wellness or your well-being is, is actually due to your environment. Right. Um, and, and, and pretty much what's around you, not just genetics. Um, so there is a way to kind of modify our environment to, to allow people to to have healthier lifestyles and healthier habits. And, and that's kind of the work that we did in Fort Worth. Now, I did want to ask you, um, based on that work, like, what is one thing that like really stuck out to you? Because um, you're almost kind of like an outsider looking in, mm -hmm. you know, what, what's something that really stuck out to you um, in Fort Worth? So I have really enjoyed 
how Fort Worth can both have a big city feel and a small town feel. Right. Um, and so my, my girlfriend, she used to live here mm-hmm. and she just moved, but we used to go to Magnolia street all the time. Right. And like, I really like all of these areas of Fort Worth that like are just really walkable. There's, you know, there's the creeks and things like that. And it, it really ties into our bigger conversation of, you know, how do people stay healthy? Right. Right. And, and what a lot of what we found was like, we would just walk down the street because we we're like, oh, that's a cool like coffee shop. Oh, let's stop here, Check grab, you know, like a sandwich or right. something. And just making that a part of our regular, you know, routine mm-hmm. was so nice. And I really like that about Fort Worth here is that and, you know, with Blue Zones Project, that there's so much effort to mm-hmm. increase the amount of, you know, accessibility to that. Right. Now you're coming in as an intern, you know, with a, with a big, large health system with Texas Health, and um, is there something of the work that that Blue Zones has been doing in Fort Worth that just kind of stuck out to you as well? I think all of the different ways. So food access is one of the big, you know, initiatives that we have here. Right. And I think all of the different ways that we try and approach it. Um, and, and I've seen that the different programs really take like, you know, the, the word holistic nowadays, mm-hmm. I feel gets thrown around a lot, right. but, but with blue zones here, we, you know, we have the, the pantries. So people have the option to, you know, go kind of have a shopping experience. Mm-hmm. We have the partnerships with the farmer's markets right. with double up food bucks, then the learning gardens. And I had the chance to, you know, go to one of the learning gardens and kind of help refurbish it, help them build it. And there's there's so many aspects that, you know, people interact with food, obviously, every day and with so many aspects of their lives. And True. I think that, that that's something that's really stuck out to me is the way that we think about how does a person interact with this from every step, not just when they're going to the grocery store, but, you know, how do they... Um, what's the relationship with local food? And I Mm -hmm. think that's a big thing that we talk about, right? Is how do we get um, people spending money at farmer's markets so it stays in the community Mm -hmm. and it bolsters that. And I think like that is really so great because it's about kind of a community upliftment. Yeah. And I love getting your perspective because, you know, I'm I'm talking to you and I'm just thinking like, here's here's the future of healthcare in front of me. I mean, you're going to be helping somebody in a hospital, you're going to be um, helping someone that's sick, helping someone in need. Uh, so in your opinion, what have you seen as a trend in healthcare, or what have you, what is something that you've seen as a trend in the healthcare industry today? So I guess there's, there's both positives and negative trends, right? right? I think one of the positive trends from a provider perspective uh-huh. and someone who's going to be working in it is there's been a lot more emphasis on wellness for physicians and for doctors, especially after the pandemic. Yeah. You know, not only were there so many instances of physicians and nurses and healthcare workers dying from getting COVID, mm. but also so many died by suicide just oh. because of the stress of it. And, you know, that they didn't have healthy ways of coping or, you know, just dealing with that magnitude of death wow. on a day-to-day basis. Yeah. And I think that that's been a great progress that's continuing to happen in the healthcare industry mm-hmm. is how do we make sure that, you know, physicians aren't burning out right. by like 
15 years in practice. Mm -hmm. um, there's a lot of residency programs now that they have it integrated into their residency. And, mm -hmm. you know, residencies are notoriously very exhausting. So right. having that incorporated makes me feel like, okay, maybe this is a sustainable um, industry for me to go into. Because, yeah. because I think, you know, it's easy to fall on into the the doom spiral of oh my gosh it's all horrible nothing's right. <laughs> gonna get fixed you know this I'm is so what it stressed. is yeah yeah it's just and the way so, life is yeah so I think having that point. support organizationally is really big and then on the um, on the patient side right on uh -huh. the consumer side I think that there is growing emphasis on primary and preventative care yes um, which is you know, you hear it everywhere that mm -hmm. the prevention's far better than the cure and and it's far cheaper. Um, yeah. Now, Texas has a long ways to go. Yeah. Um, but but I think we we are slowly making progress. Um, is it at the pace it should be? I would say no. Um, but but, you know, I think that that's that's one thing that people have just become more aware of, that right. if if you have an issue, you should try and address it earlier rather than later. Um, because, you know, like I mentioned earlier, I used to work in the pediatric ER mm -hmm. and now we've come to a point where our emergency room, you see all of the things society doesn't want to deal with there. Yes. So you see issues of homelessness, you see issues of, um, addiction and drug use and all of the, like, you know, easily preventable problems that then become so severe because people don't have access. Right. So I think it's made us more aware of preventative care and and it's a big part actually of how the payment structure is changing mm. in medicine, right? Is trying to shift away from a fee for service model. So rather than a doctor can bill you for, you know, every single band-aid that they give you and how healthy are they keeping you? Are they mm -hmm. keeping you out of their office because, you know, they're checking in with you regularly? And so I think shifting the incentives for physicians is another big shift that I've seen. Are there any uh, stigmas or myths that, that you hear uh, continuously out in the community? Or um, I would even say like in, in medical school uh, when it comes to our healthcare system or maybe just the industry or. I guess, see, I think one of the big things is is people think that physicians are just like trying to make the most money, right? Right. I, th right. I think that that's one of them. And that's so true. And I think it, now on the one hand, it is true that physicians in the US make more than than a lot of their peers in other countries. Sure. But that's not the sole reason why healthcare is a fifth of the US GDP. Wow. Like I, I think that a big part that people don't see is all of the middlemen mm -hmm. involved in healthcare that make it more expensive. Gotcha. Um and and so I think that that's a big thing. That like doctors if if I wanted to make a lot of money, mm -hmm. I would go through a less arduous route than the four years of undergrad, four years of medical school, and minimum three years of residency wow. before I start training, right? There's, there's no other profession where you go through this level of schooling and that's this competitive. Yeah. So, so I think that physicians do enter into it with good intentions. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the, the hard things to get people more educated on is how are all of the other parts in the system 
maybe preventing them from doing what they think is the best care. Yeah. No, I think that's a great point. Um, there is a, I know something we've been hearing a lot in the community is there's this, like what you just said, there's a stigma that, you know, the hospital system can't be trusted. It's, it's all about trying to keep people sick so that way they right. can continue this rotating door and just cashing in. But if you look at the structure of how hospitals um, receive payment, a lot of people can't afford you know, the treatment. Right. So somebody has to pay for it. And, and I think, so I think you've brought up a great point, Ricky, is mm -hmm. that like the trust yeah. with healthcare is, it's one of the hardest things. Yeah. And, and it's something that I think about a lot um, because the expectation of a physician is in a 15 minute interaction. Sometimes mm. you're supposed to get this person in That's front right. of you to trust what you're saying. Yeah. And um, and it's really hard to develop. And, mm -hmm. and that's why I think my experience as a teacher feels so valuable, because I remember hearing when I was a teacher um, that there was this I think it was one of my mentor teachers said it. He said that um, the kids will not invest into the teaching unless they're invested in the teacher. That's true. And and I found that to be so true that unless it's a like. Even with highly motivated children, mm. the amount of effort that they'll give, the amount that, you know, thinking that they'll give and just trust that this person has their best interests in me is is very much dependent on do they trust the person who's in front of them. Right. And it's kind of the same with doctors. Right. And the distrust that's in the community. Another thing that I think physicians, nurses need to be aware of is that it's not based out of nothing. Right. There's a long history of, you know, ways it's gotta come that, from somewhere. Yeah. It, it's yeah. got to come from somewhere. Right? right. There's a, there's a long history yeah. of how, um, physicians have been unethical with practices with black populations, mm -hmm. you know, and, and people talk about the Tuskegee airmen, which sure. is kind of a classic case where, um, where doctors essentially did this experiment and half of the airmen had syphilis. They'd figured out that penicillin could be a cure. Mm -hmm. They didn't give them penicillin. Now that, I mean, now there are so many ethical standards sure. that doctors have to make sure that they adhere to in research. But it's still difficult, right? Yeah. It's difficult to undo those like decades and decades of distrust. So I think that's a big thing that... Um, that people need to be, and by people, I mean healthcare providers sure. need to be educated on is people aren't solely swayed by just facts, right? You right. can tell people, hey, if you have high blood pressure, it's not good for your health, but they have to under, they have to understand why you are buying into their well-being. Exactly. And man, I love that you said that because even when we first started our work in Fort Worth, we we did approach some populations and when we gave them kind of our collaterals just letting them know hey this is what we're doing this is what blue zones is about um man people just looked at it and just tossed it um, so it wasn't until we we gathered some think tanks and some neighborhood uh coalitions and just got their opinion and and they were honest with us um brutally honest with us and they're like this looks like you're trying to sell us insurance or this looks like you're trying to sell us something um, but it took some time for us to show up well, where people were like, you know what, you're actually for my family, you're actually for my health. Definitely. And, and so, 
You know, a bit a big thing that I've learned is that like, uh, and this is a quote from my uh, my tenth grade U.S. Uh, my AP U.S. history teacher, yeah. right? And she said, "Nothing happens in a vacuum." Right. And and it's so like, you know, this is so many years ago. I still think about that regularly because I think what you mentioned, right, is the fact that communities are smarter than a lot of external people may give them credit for, right? Exactly. They, they understand when someone's trying to sell them something mm-hmm. or is not being fully honest with them. And I think this kind of goes back into like how healthcare health fit, fits into politics. Right. It's a big thing people say about politics is that communities don't want people who just come during election years That's and true. say, here's all of the things we have to offer you. Here's how we're going to help you. Right. right? I think a, a big part is staying regularly engaged and, you know, putting your money where your mouth is and right, showing that, yeah. like, I'm going to I'm going to make sure that I'm not just helping you when it's convenient for me mm-hmm. um, and, and building in systems that make things sustainable. No, you're absolutely right. And and I think that's something the reason why we were so successful in Fort Worth is because we did go into these neighborhoods and say, how do we work with you? What do you need? Instead of us coming in and saying, hey, this is what we're doing. Um, so we were able to listen. And I love that you said show up well, because I, I think that's something that a lot of people are missing. And early on, just to be honest with you, we, we saw that. So when we would go to like young professional groups, you know, that's when you had like the wines at fives, you had the, the, the restaurant food. But then when we would go to certain centers, it was like hummus and carrots. And we had to take a step back and say, hold on a second. There's a how come a certain group of individuals are getting a lot nicer things? Uh, is it because of the neighborhood? Like we had to kind of check ourselves on what we were doing. And once we adjusted that, um, people really started seeing like, man, like these people actually care about us. And that's when we started seeing a lot of these um, we, we call these um, best practices, well-being best practices started being implemented in these communities. And we started seeing a lot of results of, of people just getting healthier and their families improving and their schools doing better. So but it, it took all these little steps. And and I think as whether you're a healthcare professional, whether you're someone that is a community worker, we've got to kind of get over ourselves and put the needs of others before right. us. And, and so, you know, going back to things that we talked about of like shifts in healthcare, right? Yeah. There, there's this other thing that you hear people talk about a lot more is the idea of patient-centered care. Mm. Now, you would think, why wasn't it like that from the beginning? But, right. but now it's, it's a very intentional effort of, of, you know, how can we make sure that like what we're doing from when a patient gets, say we're talking in a hospital, right? From mm-hmm. when they're getting admitted to, um, to their checkups, to when they're getting discharged and any procedures that they may have is based off of what is best for the patient, not what's best for the physician schedule or things like that. Because what people have found is a lot of times they're not mutually exclusive goals, right? right? If you can get multiple physicians together at one point to talk about a patient, not only does it make it a more collaborative space, it mm-hmm. expedites that patient's care. Yeah. A lot of times it keeps the patient, it gets them discharged more quickly, um, less likely to have medical errors mm-hmm. or miscommunications. So 
I think having that focus of really figuring out what do people need, not what do I need, and then how can I sell that idea sure. to you know this group of people. Keep listening for more well-being tips from our special guest. And for more information about Blue Zones Project and the Power Nine in our community, visit livelongfortworth.com. So in your in your opinion, like as, as you're going through um, your education and, and you're studying and you're seeing all these things, um, what are some some quick things that people can do right now to improve their well-being? Sure. One of the big things that I think I've learned this past year is the value of routines. Interesting. And um, that's good. And the idea so I read Atomic Habits by yeah. James Clear recently. Very familiar. And um and you know, I I thought that there was there was aspects of that book that were so helpful to me in figuring out how do I build my routine during medical school. Mm-hmm. And those can be applied to people's health in general. So for example, um th- this I would say to every single person out there, don't charge your phone next to your bed. That's true. Put it in your bathroom. You know, you have an outlet in your bathroom, charge it there. There there are actually studies that show that it improves your quality of sleep, the amount that, like, you're distracted and anxious. That's very Plus, true. Plus, it, it helps you physically distance from technology. And what do you say to people that say, well, I use my phone as an alarm clock? I use it as an alarm clock, too. My alarm clock's in, it's my phone in my right. bathroom, right? Like, get up and go. Yeah, go. Like, like your bathroom's not, you yeah. know. 10, uh, 10 blocks away. <laughs> right. Or, so, or go to the dollar store and buy this thing called an alarm clock. Right. Well, <laughs> so so it's yeah. it's kind of strategic for me because the reason yeah. I have it in my bathroom is, one, it forces me to get up. Right. Once I'm up, I'm in my bathroom. I'm like, well, damn, well, I may I'm as well here. brush my teeth now. Right. And it just, it gets me going. Right. So I think that that's a big, big thing is getting that movement, that flow in the morning is useful. Mm. Another thing that I personally do, right, and this goes back to the idea of, like, how do you structure your environment? So I put my yoga mat in front of my room door. Hmm. Um, So I can't open my room door until I roll out my yoga mat and I do at least some stretches. Or even if it's, like, a five-minute just, like, running in place, things like that. That I think that there's a lot of ways that you can get moving without needing to have a $99 gym membership. That's true. Right? Yeah. So I, I think that that's another thing people can think about is, is like, how do I just set up my system mm-hmm. to where it's better for that? And then another is start small. You know, you don't have to think about running five miles every day. Just think about, like, okay, I'm going to run for five minutes. Yeah. I'm going to tie my shoes. I'm going to run for five minutes. It's so, so a big thing that I've learned for myself is the more barriers I have mm-hmm. to exercising, the less, you the less likely it. I'm going to do right. it. Yeah. So I really try and think about in yeah. my apartment, what are ways that I can be healthy? That's in terms of exercise. Then I think in terms of like food, yeah. you know, we talk about so much about um, healthy food, healthy access. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I'm in a privileged position, obviously, where that that is not my main concern. Sure. But but I think a big part for me in terms of just my healthy eating habits is I, I plan my meals out or I meal prep. Mm-hmm. So then that way during the week when I come back from work, I'm exhausted. I'm not having to really think about too much. I'm just getting something from the fridge. In the microwave. And yeah, and, yeah. And I think it helps me to where 
I dedicate one of my days. So I, I'll dedicate my Saturday or my Sunday to cooking like three, four things. And then, you know, they go in the fridge, they get frozen. And then that way I have a bit of variety mm-hmm. and, and I'm eating healthier. Yeah. Um, and so those those are some of the things that I have really noticed have just like really helped me change my life is the routines, yeah. um, building your your home, your personal environment. Mm-hmm. So it's more conducive to getting moving um, and just having healthier food practices like that. I love that you said routine. What, what comes to my mind, I used to work out with this guy. His name was Rich, uh, Rich Nortelli. Shout out if you're listening. Um, but he taught me something. He, he was in the bodybuilding industry. And, and he even told me, he's like, you know, Rick, there's days where I don't want to come in here. So you have to kind of treat it like a job or like a routine. So he wears, you know, the same outfit. He has the same shoes. He he sets up all his clothes like the night before and he just creates this habit of, of you know, this is what we're doing. This is what I'm putting on. And um, so even if I don't feel like doing it today, I, I limit those barriers, like you said, those excuses. And um, also that's something that we, we look at when we when you look at the research of the people that have lived the longest on the planet which uh, Dan Buettner calls the power nine principles. One of those is uh, he, he talks about having a right tribe around you. So surrounding yeah, yourself. That's huge. Yeah, surrounding yourself with people that will enhance or encourage those healthy lifestyles um, is, is a really big deal. Yeah, so I, something I've realized about myself is I am very externally motivated Mm -hmm. and having some sort of external accountability helps me a lot. So even if it's with something like my Duolingo, right? Right. I I like the fact that I'm seeing my streak, that I can compete with other people. So even like if your goal is to, you know, say eat healthier and figure out a way that you can make it into a friendly competition with your friends or your neighbors or like within members of your family. Um, same with exercising. Like I think, you know, so I use the Peloton app a lot and, you know, it shows me like how often I've worked out or, you know, with Apple watches, with Fitbits, it shows you like your steps, your tracks. But even if you're not using technology, I think just being able to do things that involve doing things with others, right? It it makes it so much better. So So if you find that like going to the gym is not your cup of tea, that's fine. You know, find a group um, who you can do some sport with that you like. And, you know, we just had the La Grande Plaza opening. So, so if there's people who you want to walk around with in, you know, in the shopping area and you want to gossip with, like do that, plan, (laughs) plan a time that you want to do that because that just that community aspect of getting moving it it helps so much of staying accountable to yourself and to others very true and when we talk about um healthcare, and and i'm just thinking about how you're kind of the future of healthcare. um what is something that you see as a future trend or something that's coming I think a big trend that is going to be coming is one is the way that people use technology differently for right. healthcare. It's interesting. So, you know, people talk about um, 
AI has been a big thing in sure. in the healthcare conversation. And here's the thing: I don't think AI is going to take jobs. Um, I I think it's a it's a simplified version of thinking about it like that right. because. I don't think any person is going to be like, yeah, I'm perfectly fine with a computer diagnosing and writing mm. me a prescription, right? More likely is it's going to be how does AI work in tandem mm. with physicians? So I'll give you an example. One is that with um, electronic health record systems, you know, so when you go to a hospital, to a clinic, everyone uses them. Right. And one example is how can they use AI to... Um, to make it easier for doctors to fully interact with their patients rather than being behind a computer and typing. So kind of like an advanced version of, you know, Siri or Google Assistant almost, sure. where they can just be having a conversation with the patient and the AI is typing out their notes and stuff for them. It, it can make that nice. for them. So that is one of the big things. And I remember when, um, when I was at UT in Austin, the the then um, dean, uh, Dean Johnston, mm -hmm. he had done um, he had this speaker series, and he was talking about how the prediction is in the next ten to twenty years, the most important quality for future physicians will be empathy. Interesting, because yeah. as technology advances, I think you know you're going to like doctors are going to have to learn the basics. They're going mm -hmm. to have to learn the anatomy, the physiology. But it may not necessarily be that they need to constantly be the diagnostician. Mm -hmm. So the goal is to help make that relationship with AI maybe a bit more symbiotic and have doctors be able to connect with patients, get to understand, okay, what are your goals? What are your mm -hmm. motivations? And then have a better interaction. I think that that's one way that I see on an individual level, yeah. it can change a lot. Um, on a broader perspective, like I said at the top, I think that my my goal, and I think just in general, is to make healthcare more universal and yeah. more accessible. Um, it is it's a really difficult task though, because yeah. the more I've come to learn about the U.S. healthcare system is that it's not really just one system. Mm -hmm. It's like four different healthcare models, just kind of duct taped and glued together. Yeah. So ways that we can rethink how do we organize and approach healthcare to make it easier for people to interact with. Because right mm -hmm. now, I mean, I can say it within my own family that any visit to the doctor's office, and this is, you know, not even talking about like the financial struggle, of right. it, but just the coordination of trying to get in touch with them trying to figure out which um, which medications and mm -hmm. things like that. And and it is it's so confusing and it's taxing. Yeah. And if you are, you know, if you are a parent and you're having to do that for yourself or your loved ones along with, um, you know, along with trying to just manage your household, it is it's really difficult. So I think that that's a big goal is making it easier for people to to be in yeah and even even if um let's say that i do have but my deductible is five thousand dollars you know so is it just gonna continually go to the doctor three hundred dollars at a time and you know for some families that's a lot of money right you know and and it it becomes affordability becomes like a decision maker whether do i go see my doctor or 
do I keep the lights on in my house? Right. Or, you know, my kids or, yeah. And I mean, if I can give a shout out to another podcast that I listen to a lot. Go for Um, it. There's one that it's done in, um, it's called An Arm and a Leg. Okay. And it's by by this man named Dan Weissman, I want to say. And he works with Kaiser Health News. And he basically talks about like, ways that you can be smarter interacting with the healthcare system. Um, and, you know, he has great ways of like, here are things that, you know, hospitals may not tell you about, or here is why your insurance is so complicated. Right. And I think it's a great way for at least people to be educated because yeah. for, in, in my opinion, I think the, the hardest thing about the U.S. healthcare system is, is its opacity. Right. Mm. That it's so confusing that people are able to take advantage of that confusion and just, you know, pull money from here and there because you don't understand it. Right. And, you know, this is the analogy that I give people like, imagine you went to Chipotle and Chipotle told you, okay, based off of your credit card provider, your burrito bowl is either going to be eight ninety nine or it's going to be eighty ninety nine. Right. That's that's how going to the doctor's office yeah, often works. That's so true. That's and, a great and example. And it just doesn't make yeah. any sense to the average person. Yeah. And there's a reason. It's because other countries have realized that that is not a way that we want to provide healthcare. So I think like that, you know, listening, educating, reading is a great way for people to understand why is this so hard. Yeah. And then once you're able to understand why, and I mean I consider myself to be pretty well educated on the subject, and I am still constantly learning about ways that it is hard and difficult and convoluted. Right. But the more you understand, you know, it, it is empowering. Mm-hmm. And once you have that, then you build coalitions, you build community around, okay, I want to make this better. Now I can write to my local representatives right. on hey, this, this is not a good policy that you are in favor of. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, and a lot of those people that make those decisions are, are making decisions based off of their constituents or, right. or you know, kind of what, what other folks want them to do. Uh, but that's a whole nother conversation. Um, <laughs> but for time's sake, I did want to ask you, um, okay, my daughter wants to get into the healthcare industry. She wants to be a doctor. Or um, even, you know, maybe myself, maybe I'm, mm-hmm. I'm thinking about, you know what, I think I'm going to go to medical school. So what advice uh, would you give someone who is entering the healthcare profession or the field? Right. One thing I would say is, um, is doing medical school is not the only option of being in healthcare. And th- this is actually something that you see a lot in in college is you have a lot of people enter as pre-med, right? right so that right. means that they're, they're taking all of the prerequisite courses mm-hmm. to go into medical school. And a lot of people, it's not just that they don't choose to not do medical school, but they realize that there's other ways that they can pursue their interests Interesting. that maybe isn't as exhausting, right? right? right. Um, to put it plainly. So I have a lot of friends who they've taken a nursing route. Um, one of my friends, she works for like a, a healthcare supply chain company, right? Mm-hmm. So she's still very much in tune with the industry, with just the system. A different aspect. Right, just from a different aspect. Yeah. And then the other thing I tell people is like, there's a lot of healthcare professions. 
there's um, physical therapy. There's true. you know pharmacy, nursing, yeah. occupational therapy. Um, I'm sure you know speech and language pathologists. There's yeah. so many out there besides just being a physician that take take your time to explore what those different ones mean. Yeah, and that's what I was going to ask you. Is so is the discovery process based in the the prerequisites like as you are going to school you start seeing or is that yeah it unfortunately it isn't i think okay. a big part is is it's about building your network okay um and trying to trying to connect with people who may know a bit about these projects already mm -hmm. so so that is a thing that you know i think people can usually search online because now there's a lot of programs that try and especially mentor people who who may not have that network you know mm -hmm. i i'm fortunate that my my mosque community has a lot of doctors right and so when i was in high school and in college and i was getting interested in medicine i had the chance to shadow a lot of different doctors and in shadowing you know i i would also tell people that you're not really looking at like how much do you understand about their science and their data no. because that because that's um, it's well past yeah. the average person's understanding. More you want to understand what is their lifestyle like, what is their patient population like. Mm. So that was um, that was a big point of clarity for me. Yeah, and and sometimes it is a process of elimination rather mm. than you know defining exactly what you want. So. I'll talk about my own experience with my yeah. specialty, right? I, after working at the pediatric ER, I realized I love working with kids. Mm -hmm. I don't like the ER because I want to be able to build relationships with patients over a long period of time. Sure. And the purpose of an ER physician is to get you moving, right? Right. And so, so I think that it helped me realize, you know, what are my goals? What are my priorities? through seeing things that I don't like. Hmm. Um, and and that that's something that I would advise people who are going to be, you know, who are interested in healthcare is think about who you can talk to. And then it doesn't necessarily have to be that you know exactly what you want. Maybe you try and figure out what don't you want first. Right, right. So that can be how much do you want to be in school and studying? How much, yeah. you know, money do you want to be in a range for? and mm -hmm. Again, like nurses right now, especially if you do travel nursing, I mean, it is it's very lucrative. Yeah, it's pretty <laughs> lucrative. So, yeah. So I would I would really think about that and any of the prestige or like social capital. Sure. Put it secondary because yeah. I, I'm to, or God forbid, if you're doing it for like your parents, don't do it. Yeah, don't you, do you, it. You'll you'll burn out. <laughs> you hate it. Yeah, you'll you'll That's burn right. out. Pretty yeah. simply. So yeah. So you really have to evaluate. You know what what motivations do you have? Yeah, and 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 talking with you and, and getting to know you, I see purpose drives a lot of this uh, because I agree with you. It's like if you are passionate about what you're doing and and you find purpose in it, the money, all that stuff is secondary. Um, because I know a lot of people that are miserable that make great money. Right. You know, so so you've got to have something that drives you that's a lot deeper than um, the financial gain. You know, because I know that's kind of the American dream. But, you know, there's got to be something that drives and you. And the other thing with, like, the financial aspect. So at least within physicians, right, sure. people associate, like, pediatricians and family medicine with being the lowest earners. Mm -hmm. But... 
But a lot of it is kind of also how savvy can you be, right? right so right. it is like I've seen family physicians who have set up practices that probably bring them in like four or five hundred K a year mm -hmm. um, versus sure, you can decide to do something like surgery. And, you know, this is obviously going down the more specific medical specialty sure. route. But then the, the surgeon's lifestyle is it's not glamorous. It, no, it's it can, not. It's pretty exhausting. So yeah. so I think that's another thing that people need to like going into healthcare would want to evaluate is how much do I want regularity? What mm. what is the like pace of work that I want right, and right. that I'm interested in? You know, things like that, because that will help inform the decisions that you make in the future. Wow, that's that's really cool. And it's true. Everybody sees the the glam and the glitz, but they don't see the calls at three in the morning. They don't see the, you know, the, the super long hours. Um, so I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. Now, just chopping it up um, as, as we close up here, is preventative health the future of healthcare? I think preventative health has to be a big part of the future of healthcare, yeah. right? And, and like what, like Blue Zones Project is preventative health, in right. my opinion, right? You're it, right? It's addressing all of those social determinants of health. Mm -hmm. And I think medical schools, hospitals, they're becoming better at understanding how all of those factor into a person's well-being, right? Mm -hmm. So the, there's, the, there's the thing people say, your genetic code is more important than your, or sorry, your zip code is mm -hmm. more important than your genetic code, right? right? That where you live, Who's around you? What what's accessible to you? Mm -hmm. It's going to affect your health more than you know right, your yeah. DNA. Um, and so I think that that makes preventative care. It's going to be bigger. Mm -hmm. The big thing is, is we as a community we have to make sure that we voice that. Right. So I think that everyone wants to be able to That's have a physician who they can see regularly. Right. Mm -hmm. It is a much better alternative than the anxiety of going to the ER mm -hmm. because a rash that you had has now gotten so bad that you need immediate care for it. Right. But that means that staying engaged as much as you can and telling, you know, and here's another thing that I would say is when it comes to when it comes to voicing your opinion and policy, People pay the most attention to presidential elections. Sure. It is your local officials who are going to have the most direct impact on yeah. you, right? And and that's kind of the thing. It's like the unsexy work, but but that's going to be the thing that changes, you know, zoning laws and like um, like what we've talked about with a lot of the built environment that's things. That's right. Yeah. So so trying to think, and especially at the state level, right? If we're talking about Texas the amount of power that your input has to your state representative mm -hmm. to your state senator is going to really affect the healthcare availability because um because so much of it is state run right so <coughs> excuse me i think that preventative health has to be a part of our future sure we have to make sure that we are a part of that because it can't just be on the medical providers. That's right. And, and you know, the sad thing is, cause you're absolutely right. The local elections are so much more important than like the, and, and I hate to say it this way, but then the president, the, pres, the presidential elections, yet it's the lowest voter turnout when it comes to local elections. Um, so if we're going to be part of the, the solution, 
you know, we really have to be engaged on on who we're putting into office right. and what's happening. And, and I think that's that's one of the big things that drew me to Blue Zones Project in Fort Worth specifically, right, is I wanted to have the chance to make change on a local community level right. because because I think it's so much more tangible and you don't fall into that doom spiral, you know, mm-hmm. that I can see that, okay, these food pantries, this food access, it is making a definitive difference on people who I see it making a difference on. Right. And that's why I think like, you know, starting at a local community level can have so much power mm-hmm. because just the the percentage that you are in that is is much higher than compared to what you are in the larger US population. Right. And for people that that hear this and say, "You know what, Ricky, like I could care less about politics. I don't want nothing to do with it." Hey, it's okay. You could still be very much involved in your community in the the things that are happening in the school, like the Good Few Pantries, um, the the playground refreshes. You know, it, it it costs you time and a little bit of effort, but what you invest is going to pay dividends in the future. Absolutely, and I mean yeah. volunteering. You know, volunteering your time, whether it's as like a community health worker or even when um, vaccine drives are going on right. in in the fall and helping with that, like. Vaccines are a big part of preventative health. So right. I think for, for me, it, it is empowering to feel like, OK, yes, I'm, I'm going to help people. Like one of the programs we have at, um, at my school, mm-hmm. it's called um, Blood Pressure and Barbershops. And, nice. you know, it, it's like students, we go out in kind of groups and on the weekends we measure um, blood pressure for people at barbershops and then we kind of give them uh, different, you know, educational materials That's on great. if they have a high, um, high blood pressure, mm-hmm. what they can do to treat it, where they can go mm-hmm. and things like that. So, I mean, there, there's so much out there that you can do. Oh, yeah. um, and, and even if it's just within like your family unit, right? Think about a lot of the ideas that we talk about at Blue Zones is, okay, as a family, how can we, you know, Maybe set aside 30 minutes every other day to go for a walk together, go for a bike together, Mm -hmm. you know, um, just play at a park and and spend that time and, you know, make yourselves healthier. And that in and of itself is so powerful. I mean, even something as simple as and I know it's going to sound crazy, but just having one TV in the house. Right. You know, taking the TVs out of the room, just having one in the house. You know, the amount of time that you spend together as a family, being outside, you know, just doing things together, uh, man, that that just skyrockets by something as simply as taking the TVs out of the rooms. Yeah, absolutely. And I know some parents are thinking, Ricky, you're out of your mind. You don't know my kids. But I promise you, it's a great habit to create. Hey, so uh, quick speed round. So I'm just going to ask you about three or four questions and you just... You just pop them off, Sounds whatever great. comes out of your, the top of your head. Um, what drives you to do all this work? I think making people healthier and make it, making it easier for people to be healthy. And uh, what keeps you going? My family, my teachers, my mentors. Name one thing, one or two things that you love about Fort Worth. The accessibility and the barbecue. The barbecue, really? 
<laughs> Any specific spots? I went to Heim Barbecue. Uh, that's um, what I was going to say. Heim is yeah. good stuff. It was great. Man. It was yes. great. Highly recommend Heim. So, and then last question: What gives you hope? I think younger people. Uh, when I was teaching, yeah, like the the perspective that twelve and thirteen year olds can have give me hope that the people who are much older, who I feel don't have it together, that they will be replaced by better. That's great, man. Hassan, you give me hope that our future is looking brighter. Thanks, Ricky. So I am so excited for you. And uh, if you see this guy in a hospital somewhere, you are in good hands. So thanks so much for hanging out with us today. Absolutely. Loved it. You've been listening to the Live Well Podcast, brought to you by North Texas Healthy Communities and Blue Zones Project. Well-being initiatives in Fort Worth supported by Texas Health Resources. Join us again in the future and find more information and podcasts for living well at livelongfortworth.com.